0: is July 31st, 2017, you're listening to Human Factors Cast, episode 51. Today we'll just see how boring Elon Musk's new uh, venture is, what Disney is doing recording your face, and how to make those 80s music videos on your smartphone and more. Have a seat on a magic bench because Human Factors Cast starts right now. Let's do it. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today from across the pond by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf.
1: What is going on, everybody?
0: There he is. It's 1.30 Blake's time. He is making a tremendous sacrifice to be here with us today. (laughs)
1: Oh, it is always a pleasure to be here. Nick, how are you, man?
0: Man, I'm good. I'm good. We had a couple of technical difficulties at the top of the show, but we're all good now. How are you, buddy?
1: Oh, just loving life. It is a beautiful summer out here in Ireland, that is for sure. Uh, but you know, man, I've been doing a fair amount of traveling and you know what I haven't used in probably 10 years is an actual like Garmin GPS unit.
0: Oh yeah. I, I used to have one of those or I guess it was my, my dad's. Um, but yeah, I remember the UI being pretty clunky and, and, uh, and not so great.
1: Yeah. And so my dad or like my stepdad's super obsessed with using the thing and I just like navigation for me and I feel like for a lot of people it's been become like synonymous with google maps or something through my phone but you it's it surprised the heck out of me that the garmin's ui has like changed none it's it's just that still that little toy monster truck that's following (laughs) the pink line
0: is it now Um, are the controls all still blocky
1: oh they are like it's it really hasn't changed any the only thing that has changed is the notifications that it gives you and the like more in-depth details that it gives when you're driving on the road um something they have out here in ireland that i don't know if they have in the states or i've never come across it is they actually have vans that have cameras inside of them that are the speed trap cameras oh so you'll what you'll get is you'll get like certain areas of the road where you'll get a lot of alerts like hey you'll have a speed a possibility of a speed trap van uh for this like stretcher road um so that was kind of that was kind of cool but also they had um a great feature, especially for because we're like driving on the wrong side of the road or the side of the road that we're not used to. Um, but they had like a lot of like what lane you need to be in and when you're going to turn off and all that kind of good stuff. So like even though the UI hasn't in- improved at all, some of the information that it is able to right. transmit is a lot better and a lot more useful than it used to be. But yeah. I thought it was crazy that it's it's at least been ten years and I've looked at one. And not much has changed.
0: Yeah, the same. I'll have to I'll have to revisit it next time I'm in uh, an electronics store. I, I do have a question though. Like, how is the? Um, I guess the hardware because I remember this this clunky capacitive touchscreen or not capacitive. Sorry, it was um the uh, what's the one where you press the thin layer of film that presses the layer below? Is that no, that's not capacitive? Capacitive oh, is like what we have on our phone. I don't...
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like pressure think that, pressure touchscreen, right? Do they still yeah, have those Yeah, the pressure touchscreen it's a lot better. Like the touchscreens screen's not as not as like you have to bear down on it. <clears throat> but I mean a lot of the a lot of like the UI controls haven't changed at all so it's the same. The only real improvement is maybe the hardware of the screen <laughs> well,
0: uh, hey, versus I
1: mean, any kind of like navigation changes.
0: Well, I mean, you know, they're they're making some strides, but it uh, sounds like they need some uh some Human Factors folks over there making making some strides in the uh, – <laughs> they probably do. They probably do have some Human Factors folks working on – they're hard at work. And the the improvements that we see, probably we just don't notice. I mean
1: – Yeah, like, I think it's much more like software and algorithm-based than anything like playing yeah, with
0: the UI. For sure, for sure. Uh, well, I got to tell you, man, I uh, – over this last week, I've uh, – a lot of people have been talking about this Black Mirror series. Have you heard about this, Blake? Oh yeah. You you watch it? Uh
1: I have seen the first uh three episodes of okay. season 1. I haven't seen any of season 2.
0: Okay. So uh so to to fill our listeners in who are not familiar with this. It it, it people equate it's an unfair equation that people make where it is uh, this generation's twilight zone and and how it kind of uh de- but it's technology based. The 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 premise I like to to say here is it's it's kind of how do we deal with these moral implications of inter- interacting with technology and what are some what if scenarios if, you know, the future were to take a turn uh, for the worse with te- the technology available, right? So without getting in any spoilers, I've been watching this and I've been really enjoying it. And uh, I, just, I just wanted to shout it out because it's, it's been a pretty good, uh, pretty good series so far. It's, it's very bingeable.
1: It, yeah, it is it's a super twisted thriller of something to watch and it is the best part about it is even though some of the stuff is graphic it it's always mind-bending in a way that makes you really think about the message because I've had to rewatch the f- only three that I've seen I've watched them all twice at least just yeah. to like really, kind of grasp what they were getting at or what was going on in the episode that I might have missed. And so you know, honest, I'd, I'd recommend it too.
0: Honestly, I watched the first episode and about ten minutes in, I was like, "You can't be serious!" And to yeah, any, I know. anyone who's <laughs> anyone who's seen this ten minutes in, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But I, I was like, "You cannot be serious. This this show cannot be as good as everyone's saying because of this." And uh, you know, the first episode, I would argue, is probably the worst episode of the series. and uh, Yeah,
1: I'll, uh, I'll second that for sure. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, uh, stick with it. It's, it's okay. Uh, Blake, you have Hotel iPad-esque travel directory on here. Is that something different from your garment?
1: Oh, yeah. So this is something I have actually never seen before, but it was probably the coolest thing, especially if you're traveling abroad. Um, but we, we were staying, I went down to kind of the Southern coast of Ireland, or at least that's what I would call it. And it's in a city called Cork. Um, but anyway, I checked in the hotel and I didn't really know anything about where I was, like what restaurants were there, what bars were good, uh, clubs or anything they were around. So in the center of where you check in, there's like this, it's much bigger than an iPad. So I'd say it's probably like a 15 by 15 screen. That's just kind of like standing in the middle of of the uh, reception area. So but it's anyway, like a, is it, it, it is basically it,
0: is it like a laptop size screen? More than uh, a tablet? yeah,
1: but it's just like a, a really big flat touchscreen. Got it. Um, and it was just laid out and like just showed you or just gave you basically like a really simple menu, kind of like like uh, like Yelp that you could just dig down into of restaurants, bars, uh, historical stuff, and in the town, places to go, and it would give you, like, information about specific places plus maps to where you needed to go, walking, um, but also, like, in, in, I think, about 12 different languages because you get a bunch of, being in Europe, you get a lot more variation on what people speak and don't speak. Sure, Um, sure. I thought it was really cool uh, because sometimes you you can, like, ask um, receptionists or whatever, but this, like, gave you directions, and you could send the google maps stuff right to your phone over the wi-fi so it
0: was pretty sick now i'm assuming this is tailored specifically for the area that you're around i mean uh it was does this seem like it was built from the ground up to sort of accommodate this uh geographic location or uh does it does it seem like a service that they're tapping into different apis that kind of uh give you that information
1: um. So, from what I can tell, because it's obviously like a, a networked company through this specific hotel. Okay. But it was definitely tailor made for this specific location. And I would assume that, like, uh, the majority of the software, so UI, how it works, any of that kind of stuff, is all the same across every location, but it'll be different based on where you are. Right. But yeah, definitely just like tailor made to the city, the specific city, in this case, Cork.
0: Well, that's cool, man. Uh, so, I gotta, I gotta. Okay, I want to talk about one more thing before we get into the news. Uh, RNG, are you familiar with RNG?
1: If it is random number
0: generator, yes. You if got not, it. No, no, you got it, man. So let me tell you. So there are a couple games out there, and I'm not gonna name names, but there. I mean, okay. So no, I'm not. But there are. Let me just, I want to talk about the UX of RNG, or the human factors behind it, because honestly, there are some implications behind it that, you know, really sort of impact uh, a way somebody plays a game, right? So, let me just say, in this game that I'm currently playing, there is a shop, right? And in this shop, the, uh, oh man, how do I describe this without giving away the game? In this shop, there are certain things available, and- Each thing that is available is randomized, right? So this is the RNG component of it.
2: Yeah, sure.
0: I I am currently trying to get enough of a certain thing to unlock that thing, right? So you have to get X amount of... Are you
1: getting like kind of like some sort of currency to help you unlock what you want?
0: Kind of, yes. Yeah, let's think about it that way. And uh, it's very random as to when this very specific item shows up in this store... And it is very discouraging because I am like two purchases away from being able to unlock this thing, and I've been. I need fifty of these things, and I have forty-six, and I've been I've been farming it for about uh, uh, a month, right? And then just out of nowhere, oh wow, it just, that's it a just, long time. It just stops, and I haven't. It's been about a month since I've seen one. So I've, I'm on my second month stretch, and I got. 46 of them and then rng has just made it impossible for me to unlock this thing where a ton of other things become available to me once this thing is unlocked and i know i'm talking about this in very very broad ambiguous terms i don't want to upset anybody's feelings if they listen to the show but man there is a real issue with rng (laughs) i mean that needs to be addressed
1: like a really um Interesting point, because I'm not throwing anybody under the bus because I'm just not good at the game, but I ran into this similar issue you're talking about in Diablo 3 when it came out at first, like trying to get specific tiered gear. It was just nearly impossible, and you felt like you were never going to get there, and sometimes you never did it's just random drops and you could only farm something for so long before they like nerf the area or change the mechanics so the rng was just never going to be in your favor
0: yeah and that's part of the reason why i'm choosing to leave it anonymous is because this isn't just an issue in this game that i'm currently playing it's an issue in a lot of games right so you have but so so like let's take overwatch for an example that's not the game i'm talking about here but let's take it as an example because blizzard is actively trying to get around this whole RNG element, right? People unlock these skins for their characters that they then uh, already own and so they give them um they give them currency which they can buy other skins, right? That's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. But what Blizzard is doing is they're kind of approaching this and saying, "Okay, well, let's tweak the algorithm and you know, weight it in such a way that they will get less of the things that they already own because that's discouraging. Right? So there are yeah, ways. Yeah. There are ways that behind the scenes you can tweak these things to to make it better for the user.
1: Yeah, but it, it, actually that that makes me think that it must be I don't know. It must be a tougher concept of to broach because one, one, <laughs> one specific game that has got really bad reviews about that is like the newest Modern Warfare, where like you you have a similar thing that if you get repeat skins, cards, whatever, you get a piece of like salvage, which is currency. But the amount of times that you end up getting salvage or like getting doubles or triples of things you already have is so sure. often that it's kind of it's kind of insane. Uh, So I wonder, like, what, uh, depending on, like, I guess, how many items, how many expansions you put on there, what really the intensity of building the RNG to make sure that it can kind of, I guess, learn what it's given a specific player and still stay random.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I have to say, like, there's a whole subreddit uh, uh, dedicated to this game that I'm playing. And, you know, anytime someone's like, did so-and-so disappear from the the store, uh, people are like... (laughs) Nope, it's just RNG. And so there's this whole, RNG has become the butt of the joke. So anyway, I think uh, (laughs) I spent enough time ranting about RNG. I think we got to get into the Human Factors news. What do you think, Blake? Oh, let's do it, man. All right. So this is the show all about Human Factors news. This could be anything from, uh, you know, whatever it is. Disney, if that's Human Factors, we can cover that. (coughs) Elon Musk's Boring Company. Yeah. Why not? Magnet hacks that unlock guns. Yeah, it's all in there. Virtual reality, whatever it is, as long as it relates to the field of human factors, it's all fair game. Blake, what do we got up first this week?
1: All right, so let's start. Let's kick it off with Elon Musk. So Elon Musk's Boring Company is a step closer to becoming a reality. The idea developed in response to the pain of clogged up roads and traffic jams, with the basic premise being that underground tunnels can transport vehicles from point A to point B more quickly and efficiency than roads, and without as much traffic jams. A car so a car in this case would drive into a collection point located on the surface of a road, after which it is taken underground via an elevator and move to its desired destination using a sled on wheels traversing a network of underground tunnels. So much shared this idea of the elevator last month, saying at the time that it was close to operational, and now he's published footage of the first car elevator in action. Now, of course, the Tunnel networks themselves will take more time to complete, but it's a sign that this ambitious project is moving forward with some serious speed. Now, Nick, I remember you pointing out to the or you put the story in the queue for us, and I watched the video that looked just so unreal of cars disappearing down under the street, flying through tunnels, and what just seemed to be I don't know some some kind of fifth element network of (laughs) travel i can't believe that they're already showing a i guess what they're calling a car elevator working now
0: yeah uh i'm a little blown away by the speed of development as well um and i mean you can see in the background of this video that you can check out in the original article you can see in the background they clearly have pieces that they are building tunnels with Um, a couple sort of things about the design of this elevator, man. Uh, I know, I know it's just a prototype, so please don't email me. I know this is just my thoughts, but there, there, okay. So there's no, there's no rails. There's also no sort of, um, locking mechanism for the car to sort of hold the car on the platform, right? So once it zooms off, right, there's, there's also no feedback for the user whenever they are close enough to, the edge of the thing so they're not driving too forward so the lip of the car doesn't get hit when they come down now what is being shown here is a tesla uh being loaded onto this thing so one could argue that this is a fully automated process the human is not involved and if that's the case fine but this is a human factors podcast and so we want to make sure we address these kinds of issues like what kind of feedback does the user get the driver get in this case as he is approaching this i see nothing it's like your best guess.
1: Yeah, and that's super dangerous and the you bring up a good point that in the video and even in uh the test stuff it's a Tesla. So I'm not sure is like the real driving factor behind this that there is going to be automation and cars involved. Right. That, I mean, that allow this to be easier, but what are you going to do for the majority of people who don't drive Teslas, or are they allowed to get on these things?
0: Yeah, how do I get my Toyota Corolla on this thing? <laughs> I just drive it yeah, up and, like, and hope? the funny
1: part is, is, you brought up there being issues like this before, like, before we even saw this, I guess, this full, fully functional um, elevator car. Like, you talked about there not being really anything to catch from stopping or... Showing where you were on it, so it's it's kind of surprising that they've gone from like concept to developed piece without thinking this through. I but mean,
0: I, think, I have faith. I think what they're testing here is obviously the hardware. Uh, that so they're they're testing the elevator and the fact that the elevator works fine. I still want to bring these issues because I'm sure I'm sure Elon Musk, our golden boy, is uh, out there thinking of ways in order to make this the safest thing possible. Because if it's a disaster, his name is attached to it and also uh, you know there, it, it's just these types of things that we have to think about as human factors professionals when we when we develop these feats of engineering like this is this is awesome this is so cool, but we do have to take into consideration you know what happens when there's actually somebody behind the thing like I'm sure they'll test this and, and find this really quick that there's a lack of feedback and all that stuff so
1: well, the the other thing too is like you you brought up a good point with there being no real locking mechanism because if there's not, these things are supposed to travel really fast in a forward direction and then basically stop and go directly vertical. So I feel like if the if the car is not locked in properly where it is, it's either going to jerk forward or pop up off the ground by going up back to the surface of the street sure so i it'll be interesting if they show any kind of real like prototype testing of like once a once one of these tunnels is fully installed
0: yeah and you know okay so you brought up another point like okay it's not it's not secure it's not secure Uh, i'm sure they'll have some sort of mechanism that comes up and there's ai involved that you know looks at the axle and then hooks around it and then brings it down but like what happens if there's like a a, a rat gets down in these systems right and uh, it's like right in the way of one of these traveling platforms like what happens then there's a, there's a bunch of what- ifs that I'm sure we'll find out uh, once this thing comes but I, I thought this was important to talk about just because it's it's kind of the future of transportation we don't talk a whole lot I mean we try to we try to talk about transportation on the show but it's It's rare that we see these novel ideas that sort of are transformative of uh, sort of transit.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of crazy that, like, when I I think of this, I feel more like I'm thinking of a train that's moving really fast. I guess because it's underground and it's not as congested as a road. Um, And I guess when I think of Elon Musk, you get that kind of Tony Stark persona behind him where he's just pushing things to the future so a lot of times I, when i think of him i'm like okay this guy's gonna make flying cars and it will look like the fifth element out here but this is obviously very well thought through um and again i mean you and i see these things that maybe designers or prototypes don't see and this is like a bit these are big pieces of hardware uh, that are gonna i don't know again have right. f- tons of implications for how people travel and safety will be a big deal so Ooh, that's what why we point these, out
0: these things what if one of these elevators fails Oof.
1: well it's it's so it's almost, <laughs> almost a matter of when right because yeah. is such a brand new idea oh, and you God. i mean you brought up a perfect point with the rat like obviously they're gonna have to have to have a lot of sensors attached to these rails and it'll be no matter how much planning you do it'll be a lot of learning curve type stuff when this is actually in uh, implementation so i don't i don't know this is this is just like a whole new can of worms
0: oh for sure um, by
1: putting this giant underground
0: tunnel system in hey blake do you have this thing up on repeat are you watching this right now
1: uh i can't i'm actually doing all this r- through my phone oh, right okay. now Okay,
0: well okay it, on the video did you notice that how, how close the back end of this vehicle is to the edge like yeah it is the, very. there's close. like
1: Yeah, there's almost like no room for clearance or error, Uh which makes me think you're right. There's got to be a lot of automation. They're thinking it's going to be baked into this. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So that's an interesting one. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story.
1: All right. So this is crazy. So a, a Disney story coming up. So the Walt Disney Company is now employing artificial intelligence and facial recognition to determine how much audiences enjoy every single moment of their films. So at IEEE's computer vision and pattern recognition last weekend, Disney Research and Caltech explained their technique for tracking the facial expressions of people watching movies. The research team calls their new algorithm, algorithm factorized variational auto-encoders encoder, and claim the technology is so effective at recognizing complex expressions that after analyzing a single audience member's face for about 10 minutes the algorithm can then predict even that face's future expressions throughout the remainder of the film. It will be interesting to see how Disney uses this data to collect, they're collecting from tracking audience faces as, as this AI tracking system could help them understand audience reactions much better than human market researchers. And I won't lie, that last line kind of scares me because that's partially what I've done in the past, is doing some market research. Uh, So AI is now dipping into some of the research aspects of what human factors people do. But nonetheless, it's crazy that Disney is using this kind of facial recognition for their
0: stuff. Yeah. uh, So, wow. I don't even... Dude, I don't even know where to start with this one. I'm literally at a loss of where to start. Okay, so, so Disney has this technology that allows them to look at an audience, analyze their facial features, and see whether or not they're having a good time or a really good time and how they're reacting to what's on screen. And, to take it a step further, they can then, once they have sort of uh, an idea of what your taste is, they can predict your reaction to the rest of the movie. Holy crap. Which is, I know,
1: that's beyond comprehension to me, because they're claiming that this can all be done within ten minutes of monitoring somebody's facial expressions, basically.
0: Holy crap. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about how they do this, right? So they built a database, and they they kind of they they took existing movies and fed it into a neural network, right? So they did this um, by pointing an infrared camera at the audience, and um, they did it over one hundred fifty showings of nine movies, right? So Star Wars Force Awakens, if they were in on me, they would have seen me smiling the whole time, except for when th- uh, it's been out a year, whatever. It's been out two years, except for when Han Solo dies. Oh my God, my face. Just Tears, <laughs> uh, Zootopia, Inside Out, Big Hero 6. And I mean, to be fair, they have a good, they have a, I, I love Disney's catalog and these are all great movies. So it'd be interesting to see like, you know, how, how audiences reacted to a, a movie that wasn't critically acclaimed, um, something like the Lone Ranger or something, for example, that was like a flop and, you know, they, they acknowledged that it was a flop how how does an audience react to that, and can they go the other way too? Can they can they then test? Uh, they can see neutral, but can they see negative emotion as well? It'd be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, you've, it's uh, I don't know. It's very <laughs> interesting to me that like the way that they even built this database, is just using their own back catalog. But it just doesn't seem like they u- they had to use that mu- or. Gather that much data to make this thing as robust and far as predictability. Because I mean, it talks about it used the it used like nine specific movies and only 150 showings. Now, like I don't know how many people are in movie theaters these days because I know some of them got a lot smaller. But still, for this thing to be able to within 10 minutes start predicting how you're going to react to what's upcoming, it it just doesn't even almost seem
0: feasible in some way well that's based on the data that they got right so they they were constantly comparing the data that they got to the data that they got from the same people and were able to see the trends over time and so then they just apply that algorithm to the viewing audiences now the part that scares me is the fact that this could be like you said this this is uh this has the potential to be much better than human market researchers because they can do a focus group and say, oh, that joke didn't work. Let's do ADR on this animated film and change that joke and test it again until it's the perfect joke, right? Like, or or, or even with advertising, you know, you can see how people react to an advertisement, and if they're not jiving with it, then scrap it. Let's do it again. And it's just the the applications of something like this. uh, We're getting into that whole tailored advertisement, like, what if an advertisement that's directed at me and, you know, there's facial recognition, they're using an algorithm. They could do this probably with the camera on my laptop or, you know, on my phone or whatever it is. So they analyze my face and then they, they log the response to that I had to that, that uh, advertisement. And then the next time they know not to give me something that's like that based on my facial expressions.
1: Oh, surely. And I mean, they could just basically develop personas for each type of ad they run, because I mean, some things are going to be successful with some people. And I mean, think about this could even change what a focus group means. It could be just running these small little tests, because I mean, you know, how supposedly, you know, how simple it is to take control of somebody's camera on their phone. Well, I mean, if you, if you, <laughs> we've talked about this on the show before, where companies hide things in their terms and services agreement. I mean, if that becomes part of it, that they are accessing your, you know, camera on your phone to, to kind of determine how you react to anything that's within their own application, it could help you learn how to either build better advertising, build better experiences through your phones, all through just AI and facial recognition.
0: Right. Ugh. Oh. All right. Well, I ooh, I don't want to talk about this anymore. But uh, Disney's doing some other work, right? <laughs> yes. Th- this is this
1: is a little more lighthearted, for sure. Not I think as much so. Let's let keeping your face logged. Oh, yeah. All right. So augmented augmented and mixed reality experiences tend to be solo affairs. So you're either looking at your phone or you're wearing a headset. Well, for Disney research, this is not nearly social enough. So its scientists have created the Magic Bench. So this is a blend of augmented and mixed reality that entire groups can share together. So the Bench uses a combination of a camera and a depth sensor to produce a 3D recreation of you and the Bench, letting virtual characters and objects interact with you as if they were actually there in the space you're in. And the key to this is the actual sitting. So it can tell the system how many people are present, where they're facing, and vibrate when a digital actor actually sits down with you. Now, this is something I can get behind with Disney. And, you know, I really never thought about the... Because we we talk about, I think, almost every week about different expanses in VR and augmented reality.
0: It's hard not to when I'm on the show.
1: Oh, I know, (laughs) right? But but the... uh, so the entertainment aspect in something like a theme park is just a great way to, I f- I think, not only use the technology, but expand upon it. Because like, th- like this article is talking about with this magic bench, it's combining both augmented reality and what they call mixed reality experiences.
0: Yeah. And so, so one sort of uh, one thing that comes to my mind uh, right off the bat, you've gone to Disneyland. Oh, you know it. You've gone to the Haunted Mansion. Yes. Well, yeah, they could totally do something with the ghosts in, in those doom buggies with this technology. Yeah, you
1: know, I feel like that's where a lot of this will go. They start doing little tests, and then it's going to be much more immersive in each oh, one yeah. of these rides.
0: Now, let me let me sort of... Uh, the, the whole point of this article is that they want to make it a social experience, right? A shared experience between multiple people in the same space. So what they're getting at here is, um, you know, more than one person on a bench interacting with this thing that's going on in the environment in their own special way and then it the environment responding to those things right so the thing that i'm thinking of is so when i went to this uh this human body exhibit a couple weeks ago i talked about it on the show uh there was a augmented reality experience where you a camera sort of looks at you and projects onto the screen in front of you your your body, and it shows you your locomotion with your bones and everything. And now, how it was a single person experience where the one person would get up and the cameras would map them, and then you move your thing. How cool would it be to have an interactive experience with multiple people, right? You could get the dancing skeletons up there, whatever. You know, Something like that just in everyday life uh, would be would be pretty cool, I think. I don't know. I
1: think it would be great, and you know, like I've I've often thought about like where the future of VR goes in terms of like social interaction across kind of the internet. More so, like you strap on your headset and you are in like. Virtual space with avatars that are your friends and all that kind of stuff. But this takes it to a completely different level to where you're actual people in the same room experiencing the same things together and not necessarily with like any kind of headset wear on. Because they even talk about it in the article that this is done through like a mirror projection um, into the room. So not necessarily requiring any kind of headset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a mirror. I was going to say it's a mirror. So they're, they're looking at a mirror and interacting with everything on there. But, I mean, who knows what the future holds? What, what, who's to say, like, if everybody puts on a set of glasses and they see mixed reality in front of them, that they wouldn't be able to interact with the same things, right? This, this uh, 3D creature character is running around the environment and everybody is able to see where it is, um, you know, using the same headsets and position tracking. Like, there's, there's a ton more. Uh, th- this is the first step to a larger social shared augmented reality experience in my opinion
1: i think you're right and you know if you if you kind of abstract it a little bit i think disney's been doing this with their theme parks for a long time like as far as providing an augmented reality not in the sense that we think of it right now but like i don't know if you're if you're in a room and you feel like a gust of wind come at you because of something you're seeing on the screen is wind. I think what's always been lacking is the visual immersion, but they've been good at creating the scene through your different tactile senses. Sure. So now that the visual aspect's really catching up, I I feel like we're only going to see more intensive experiences like this one.
0: Well, I think, I think you bring up a good point, is that Disney's been doing this for a long time. I think augmented reality could mean anything that sort of... Uh enhances your view of where you're at in the world right so like i'm thinking even going into star tours and seeing all the robots you know all the droids moving around and uh all the environment itself could be an augmented reality experience because i'm no longer in the real world i am in a galaxy far far away right like i'm there with all these other people on a star tour ride so i, I think, oh
1: yeah like it- That'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, we're we're kind of skirting the definition of augmented reality right now. But anyway, this article is pretty cool. Do you have anything else uh, closing on this one here?
1: Oh, I really don't on this one.
0: All right, so I just want to do a quick thank you to our friends over at Gadget Gizmodo, Wired, and Recode for all our stories this week. If you guys want to follow along as we find these articles, you can follow us on all our social media links for the links uh, to those as we find them. Uh, it's always a good way to sort of... Uh, Stay updated with what we're going to be talking about on the show, as well as, uh, you know, being able to see what we're talking about. So, Blake.
1: All right, Nick, you ready to jump into the 80s?
0: I'm ready. Let's do it. All right.
1: So, AHA's classic video for Take Me On was the result of a painstaking effort. So, it took a total of 16 weeks to rotoscope the frames, creating the signature blend between the real and hand-drawn worlds. Now, however, you only need an iPhone to recreate the same look for yourself. Trixix Studios has shown off an augmented reality iOS app that produces the take-on-me look in your own home. The proof-of-concept software makes do with virtual reality versions of AHA's Morton Harkett, Harket and the pipe-wielding thugs, but its effect is more convincing than you might think. In many ways, the app, which unfortunately is not publicly available, is a showcase of how easily how easy it's becoming to implement augmented reality. Heavy augmented reality this week. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, I like it. I, I don't know, I like where this is going. Now, this was cool, because I, I've been reading a whole bunch on Twitter and Medium about Apple... Apple. <laughs> Apple's AR kit and how easy it is to just grab it um, from just like the app store and start developing in it. Uh, the only problem now is I don't have a Mac to use it with anymore, but obviously you're able to do really complex things with it with such a simple framework.
0: <laughs> yeah. This, uh, oh man, this is impressive. Uh, uh, you don't know because I have it linked so that way you can't hear... What I played through the computer, but I was playing the uh, I was playing "Take on Me" as you were talking about that story. I think thirty seconds is the limit for uh, for free, so I think we're good. But uh, th- this whole app, so this this kind of plays out like the original music video, right? So so there's a hand that comes out of this augmented reality sort of uh, or, or or this paper drawn uh, hole in the middle of your living room, and you take the hand, and then boom, a door ap- appears, and then you can sort of see your entire house or whatever room you're in um, in this sketch-like world. And you could go in the world and see everything as the sketch, but through the door it's regular uh, reality. And then you can go through the door, and then the door becomes your window to the sketch reality and vice versa. It's hard to do it justice. Just look at this video. It's amazing. Um, So, uh, you know, I got to go kick some ass with my own pipe wrench. Have you seen (laughs) Have you seen the? Uh, have you seen that uh, literal take on me video? <laughs> Where it's like, no, I haven't. Just, oh my gosh! Do do yourself a favor. It's a it's a video describing the video that's happening, and it's hilarious. Uh, you would love it. Um, oh, no perfection! Yeah, no. This this goes to show like what what kind of uh, as as small as these things are. You know how how will these cool little novel experiences will get people interested in VR and augmented reality and and sort of how um, you know it can bring it to the masses like everybody knows this video
1: oh yeah like every and everybody's heard the song before knows the video and I mean it's it's crazy that just from a simple like AR kit that Apple's put together that it was able to be recreated at such a fidelity
0: oh man Uh yeah uh, I really have nothing else to say. This was one of those fun ones that we just kind of tossed in here. Uh, my last sort of point with this one, Blake, are you able to hit that high note?
1: Oh, no. There is no way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, me, let me see if I can get the high note going here. Hang on. Yeah, I got it. You can't hear it. Here we go. I'm going to try to hit it. Here we go. Beep. I apologize everyone for your eardrums all right before i embarrass myself even more let's go ahead and move on to the next story blake
1: <laughs> oh man okay so t- down a little bit of a different road to this back towards the sal- self-driving cars in legislature so a bill that would allow companies like ford google and uber to move more easily and test and deploy self-driving cars in the u.s on u.s roads insta in congress on thursday after House lawmakers voted to send it to the full chamber for consideration. So it's still far from becoming a law, but as Democratic and Republican authors on the supportive House and Energy Commerce Committee believe their rare bipartisan proposal has a shot at success. As it stands, the Safety, Ensuring Lives, Future, Deployment, and Research in Vehicle Evolution Act, a.k.a. The Self-Drive Act would allow companies over time to test as many as 100,000 vehicles, uh, highly autonomous vehicles in the United States. So we talked a couple weeks, I think it's at least two weeks ago now, about kind of the, well, I I expressed some concerns I had with that some companies were getting like permits that were allowing them to put specific types of autonomous robots on the roads, um, and in this case, we're talking about regulation of self-driving cars and the ability for big companies like Google and Uber and Ford um, to test these highly autonomous vehicles on actual roads. Right. Um, so the, bi- the the biggest part about this is that it's actually moving through as, as slow as it can be with legislation. It actually is moving through, so, and that's just amazing. It's great for these companies, at least, so they can start really deploying these vehicles and road testing them, getting them out there with real traffic and see how they interact.
0: Right, and one of the one of the major hurdles for those um, for those companies that you're mentioning, the tech and auto giants, right, is basically trying to prove that self driving vehicles and and technology is just as safe, if not safer, than the vehicles that we have out there right now. Right we have to we have to sort of <laughs> or, or they have to convince the government that the these uh these vehicles should be exempt from sort of the safety requirements uh that require them to have steering wheels and and uh you know other other sort of challenges that they're facing right now
1: which is really a big deal that it's like it's allowing people to are allowing these companies to kind of really skirt things from a federal level, because uh, that's a giant hurdle in, in and of itself. Um, and they talk a little bit about the local legislation as well, from state to state, and the nice thing that I saw here was that states won't be able to really impose any regulations on their own targeting design and operation of these cars it, regarding mainly the software. So that right. means like it, it, it's really in the hands of this this gets this gets to be like a, a scary statement sometimes, but in the hands of companies that we do trust to make and test their own software, like Google and Lyft and Uber, mm-hmm. um, even though they collect a lot of data on us, it's still like very it's high quality software that's not being affected by any kind of like state agenda.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll be. I mean, we've talked about this several times about you know how how. This is this is important and we want to keep our listeners up to date with the status of what's going on, right? We followed this as it went in or as as even they were they were tossing around this idea of um you know this bill. So to see it come this far is is a good sign of progress and then we need to we need to get it over that vote and then we need to see where it goes from there and kind of what that does for us in terms of moving us forward with autonomous vehicles and autonomous technology on our roads. Uh, and and it, it'll be interesting to see for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. And as a kind of like a tie back to something that we did last week, we had somebody amp- or hit us up with a Twitter question about the future of HFE um, and HCI. And f- I feel like in this realm, if you're interested in automobiles and any uh, autonomous mm-hmm. vehicles, and it's something that is talked about towards the end of this bill and the article, if if you're interested in getting into HFE or HCI, looking at these car companies or Google or any of these app companies that deal with autonomous vehicles or will in the future and, becoming, and starting to try and tackle um, cybersecurity and what that entails as far as oh, yeah. what policies need to be in place, what kind of detail, what kind of data needs to be protected for drivers and while they're on trips and what should be transmitted that kind of stuff is a good way to kind of figure out your way
0: right there's You're also like yeah there's also the whole field of transportation safety human factors where you know they could get into the infrastructure side of things how how can we make road signs that uh, computer algorithms can read effectively and how do we you know still provide hints and clues for the human uh to stay in the loop despite not having um, you know, their hands on the wheel at all times or whatever. There's there's plenty of avenues. And like you said, like there's, there's a ton of different ways that you could go about it. But uh, this is definitely one of those uh, areas that are ripe for exploration in terms of human factors and implications for the human right now, for sure.
1: Most definitely. All right. You ready to move to my favorite story of the week?
0: It's your favorite story of the week. It's my least favorite story yep. of the week. Let's do it.
1: This one's crazy to me in so many ways. Alright, so just like anything with a lithium-based battery has the potential to explode, just about any tech product that's considered smart is potentially hackable, which is why one clever hacker was able to break the Armatix IP1, a smart gun that was designed to only be fired by the person wearing a paired smartwatch. The hacker discovered that he could shoot the gun without wearing the paired watch by placing just $15 worth of strong magnets next to the weapon. He also managed to disable the weapon remotely by jamming radio signals so it couldn't shoot. Armatix has already caught wind of the hack and told CNN that when the gun was designed... "Quote: There was never the demand to avoid the usage by a well prepared attacker or skilled hacker." Now, okay, so I said this is my favorite article, and this is kind of why. It's it's obvious that one I didn't know something like this even existed, um, and I think the technology is kind of, is is in some ways necessary and kind of cool because it feels very futuristic, very RoboCop or Blade Runner to me as far as like you can't shoot the gun unless you have a smart watch on. And then of course you have the inevitable thing that somebody's going to figure out a way around that technology. But what really blew me away, and this is, I have nothing against the company, I just think it's like a, you have to think in like a QA testing type of mindset that they they designed this they designed a weapon that's a smart weapon but never really thought about the aspect of oh well what if somebody hacks this thing or can it easily be hacked
0: <laughs> that sounds like um, a cop out to me honestly
1: yeah i, I think so I, well it sounds like it's it's just not or a major it was oversight built released and not well thought out
0: yeah i i think the thing that makes this so scary is the fact that it is a gun right i mean we've seen devices get hacked before We've seen phones get broken into. We've seen uh, computers unlocked. We've seen you name it, right? Any smart device, a Fitbit, uh, can record whatever and transmit it to something else, right? We've seen all these things. This is a gun. This this can take somebody's life, and uh, you know, depending on how you feel about guns, that's not what this is about. This is about the fact that uh, this system that was supposed to be designed for safety can be easily manipulated uh, to, in fact, have the opposite effect if the right conditions are there, right? I'm trying to skirt around this uh, politically, right? Because I don't want to upset anybody um, who feels that guns are a necessity or who feel that guns are not a necessity. And uh, I don't want to come down either way on that. So I'm I'm just trying to lay out the facts here and be as uh, politically neutral as I can.
1: Oh sure, and one thing to also point out is this particular hacker is also mentioned in the article. I mean, it, going about this would is not something normal people would do. Like getting fifteen dollars worth of strong magnets to test this. I mean, this is this is what what like hackers are known to do. Like figure right. out how to exploit a system um, and. It's unlikely that a lot of people would have figured this out on their own and it's, st- it's still I mean there's an easier way around this, right? Instead of hacking a gun, you could just buy a regular gun that doesn't require a smart band or anything like that. So there's there's kind of tip for tat. I mean the main point the main takeaway I had here in my mind is that as this, this kind of thing gets more popular because I can only imagine that it will. The companies need to be very careful in what they do in terms of testing for hacks like this.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, this is by no means the optimal solution. I think this is just one solution. And I don't know if there is an ultimate solution to gun safety, but it's something that, you know, uh, people will work for. I, I mean, I have colleagues who, you know, their pet project is gun safety. And so. They are working actively to make these weapons safe, you know. Whether uh, however you feel about them, the fact that yeah, they it's need a, to be, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's, the fact that they really need tough. to be safe and contained. I don't think anyone will have a problem with me saying that that there at least needs to be some protection around them. Um, you know, whether or not you have them. So it's just it's a it's it's a means to an end, and this is. Uh, I'm glad that a vulnerability was highlighted, uh, before, you know, something fatal happened or, or that this was discovered in a different way. So, wow, Blake, why you made the show notes this week. Why'd you put this one as the last story? <laughs> this is really depressing, man.
1: That's true. I don't know. I just thought it was, I, th- I still think it's a step in the right direction in terms of making guns safer than they are at the current moment. Um, And and I don't know, I think it's important for people to see things like this. And even the last story, I mean, we're talking about cars that are potentially going to have control of where you're going um, and a lot of data associated with that. And so understanding the hacks in these smart technologies is just something people should be aware of. And we should definitely hold companies accountable and have them test and do much more intensive QA than maybe they think they're doing.
0: For sure. Cybersecurity, folks, it's the way of the future. All right, man, you ready to see what came from Reddit this week? Let's see. All right, let's switch gears and get to the It Came From Reddit section. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community's talking about, any subreddit's fair game, as long as it relates to human factors and encourages discussion among the community. So uh, today, are, uh, this, is, this comes from This Is Fats, Uh, And this was on the user experience subreddit and they titled this request from stakeholder to conduct some user interviews internally. They go on to say hello folks. I recently started as a UX designer and I'm currently working through my first project which is so far a mixture of remote and in-person user research so far so good. However, it's been brought to our attention that some stakeholders want us to interview internal members of staff. More specifically, conduct the same usability studies we've been doing with the general public. Obviously, this, says, this this sets off alarm bells for a number of reasons, bias being one of them. I'd like to know if anyone else has been in this situation. My general impression is that this is merely for the appeasement of certain stakeholders. It's effectively an excuse in or an exercise in futility however the positive aspect for me is that an opportunity to be more inclusive of other staff members opinions and an opportunity to educate people on the benefit of user experience wow that was a that was a long one but uh important one for sure blake what do you what do you got on this one have you ever had something like this happen to you um
1: no, because and he makes a good point, or he or she, we'll just go with this is Fats, makes a good point. I mean, you're, there's so much bias being introduced typically if you're like running them through a usability test of a product that they work on or they're a part of building. Um, so likely they've already seen it before. But I, I guess what I took took away from this, and I really like the, <coughs> sorry the positive aspect that he spins this off at the end and it's really advocating for getting other people involved in what you do, having maybe people understand what a usability test is, what you do as a user experience or human factors person in the company, how you're benefiting them. And also too, I thought about this a little more cause it, it did throw me off and I was wondering if this is what he, as he or she mentions uh, like uh, exercise and futility, but I I feel like too you have a chance now to understand from potentially different departments how how they perceive the product, what it does, and also does it do does their goals with using the product align with both their departments, like business goals, the goals of the customer that, you, that you've outlined through. Customer journeys or personas, so it gives you like a more whole sense of how people in different departments are moving in terms of building this product together. So I think it's a it's kind of unique. Um, now, Nick, I think you said to me before that you had experience with this.
0: So let me let me uh, let me tackle a couple points here. Uh, first point. Wow, I don't even know where to start. Okay, first point. Half of being in user experience in the human factors field is evangelizing. You have to get out there. You have to let know people know what you're doing. You have to illustrate the importance of what you're doing, um, right? Like that's a, that's a huge part of our job. If we're not in a company that appreciates uh, what we do and doesn't understand our importance, we have to communicate to that, to them, what that is. And this is a good opportunity to do it. When people inside the company uh, this is fats makes a great point where, you know, it's, it's a, it's an opportunity to educate people on the benefit of, uh, of user, user experience. That's point one. Point two. I know that some companies, I actually had a conversation with somebody just last week. Um, I won't say what company, but I do know that there are certain companies out there who will only usability test within, right? um, they only use people that they have access to and this is in order or or, or in in an effort to make sure that there is no spillage out to the general public right they don't want their product um, getting sent out there early so with that being said i don't think this is necessarily a bad thing it depends on your product obviously but um, if you've already done the research externally it doesn't make much sense to do it internally however with that being said, um, you could – I did work in a situation where, uh, you know, we had to recruit from within because our, uh, our sample of users was worldwide. And we didn't have the means or the resources to actually go out to each site and sort of uh, gather knowledge about them. And so what we would do is we'd recruit internally with people who are familiar with the system – and uh, we would talk to them and solicit their feedback. And I think if the people that you're talking with internally know what they're talking about, and they should, I think this is a good opportunity for you to maybe iterate on some of these designs. Maybe use them to vet these designs. Maybe use them to uh, you know, suggest new, I don't know, solutions to problems that you're experiencing. Um, this could be a great opportunity to sort of vet those designs though. And I mean, you don't really necessarily have to use it as a, uh, an interview or a usability test, but if you're, you know, thinking there might be another solution, run and buy them. This is, this is a good, get them involved for sure. Uh, I, I would push back a little bit on the whole usability test because they're not actual users, but for sure, get them involved and, and you can, you can definitely get something valuable out of this.
1: Honestly, too, I feel like that if... Because he does call out that they're, they want them to conduct the same usability studies that they've been doing with the general public. And this might be a really good way, and I don't mean to sound sinister about this, but I've definitely run into this problem before. If you've ever worked with work with a specific customer company that they think that they know their customer base really well and they don't need to do these studies i mean this is a great way to do a comparison of okay you've seen the designs the in company you guys made these choices or wanted to move in this direction but the studies we've done show that we need to move in a completely opposite direction with the product so i've I think this is a really good way for you to like show utility but also to help kind of course correct any any like biases that stakeholders do have about what they think they know about your customer base. Oh so man, at the I, end end of the day I think this just really helps you
0: out. I got to tell you might- I got to tell you Blake really quick before you get too far away from this that whole sinister thing and I I had an experience one time where I showed higher up a usability test of uh, a product that I was working on and man, it was so frustrating for them to watch because, you know, we'd put all this effort or they'd put all this effort into designing this thing. And there were some tweaks that we had suggested and and they didn't get implemented. And then once they saw the usability test, they really understood it clicked for them. They knew, uh, you know, that that we we had our 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 hunch was correct about what we needed to be done. And it was. So amazing to see that switch because somebody higher up saw it. It was, it was amazing. All right, so I'm going to let you go ahead and finish your thought there. Sorry, Blake, I jumped in.
1: No, 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 that's all good. That was kind of it. Like, I, I just think that there's more advantages to this than anything, uh, honestly. I mean, it might sound like a hassle as far as having to get stakeholders to uh, basically run through your usability test. But giving you – giving them exposure to what you do and also, to potentially giving you ammo – if you run into a situation where they're trying to make a lot of design decisions that aren't necessarily warranted, this uh, this could really help you out later.
0: I agree. Well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. If you uh, have any stories or news topics that you think we may have missed, you can go ahead and follow us on social media. Let us know. Uh, head on over to the Human Factors cast LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at HFactorsPodcast. Uh, you can just join the discussion on our SoundCloud. Hopefully, they don't go under. If they do, we have some... We have some uh, alternatives. Or you can send us an email at humanfactorscasts at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. If you're feeling saucy at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. Uh, You can also support us on our Patreon because we bring these things to you ad-free. So AHA can't sue us because we use more than 30 seconds of their music this time. All right, we're at Patreon.com slash HumanFactorsCast. Be sure to like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, or whatever your favorite podcast directory is. We love those reviews. We love it when they're good. We love hearing from you guys. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, HumanFactorsCast.com. Mr. Blake Gardenstorp, thank you for staying up late and hanging out with me to talk about some Human Factors. Where can our listeners find you, buddy?
1: Oh, no problem, Nick. You guys can always find me at, on Twitter at don't panic UX.
0: As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm trying to be a little bit more active on there. I think I made one tweet in the last two weeks. I don't know. We'll see. At Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Gas, guys. Until next time, you know what? It depends on. Oh, it Everything, everything man. We've got the guns.
1: Elevators Disney, for
0: cars. Disney. Disney stuff. More Disney stuff. All right. See you next week. Bye.
2: Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience.